someone made an interesting comment that I saw during the week as well that um, pessimism almost uh, always traditionally tends to underperform the market, um, which is probably not a bad mantra to to take into things is that if you are perennially worried and scared about what the market might do and and how how bad it might get you can often miss some of the great uh performance periods as well so welcome to the exponential investor podcast want to be a better smarter more clued up investor well you've come to the right place we cover the breakthrough investment ideas you don't hear about in the mainstream to keep you on top of the megatrends and opportunities reshaping our world. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Exponential Investor Podcast. I'm your editor, Sam Volkering, here with my co-editor, Kit Winder. And uh, apologies, first off, for not getting a podcast episode out to you last week. Uh, I take full responsibility for that because in Kit's absence, I had actually forgotten to arrange a second guest after we had Nikolai Hubble on the week earlier. So um, apologies for that. Nonetheless, we are back and we are back with Kit. And uh, Kit, we, we missed you, Kit. You've, you've been away. How was your, how was your time away? Uh, yes, very good. Uh, picked up just a smidge of COVID on the way, but uh, these days that means you've got a sniffle for about 24 hours and um, yeah, it was okay. But yeah, two weeks off was was a pretty serious chunk um, and didn't look like that much happened really, so it was pretty relaxing. Yeah, no, well, well, that much has happened, hasn't happened. It's always, um, always debatable, I suppose, when it comes to the markets. Um, a couple of things, probably wouldn't mind having a chat to you about, get your thoughts on uh this week i um we could go um, many places we could we could talk about the the market perhaps in the midst of a rebound or perhaps a dead cat bounce we we may dive into that in a little bit but one of the things i wanted to uh wanted to talk about caught my eye this week and i don't know if you saw this or not but um lloyd's bank are now offering one of the lowest rate long-term fixed mortgages that i think has ever existed on record um, it's a 10-year fixed mortgage, fixed interest mortgage at, uh, I think it's 1.66%, um, which is astonishing, astonishing. 10 years at 1.66%. Now, you do have to have a 40% deposit, so it's a you know, 60% LVR, loan-to-value ratio. Um, now, what do, you, what, do we, what do we make of that? So I, I look at this and, and I think, why does the bank happily lock in someone for 10 years at a 1.66% interest rate. Is this indicative of the desire for banks desperate to bring residential mortgages onto their books? Is this uh, evidence of them maybe not really being all that worried about significant rate hikes over the next decade? I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts? I don't know if you saw that or, or what would you make of this situation? Uh, yeah, I saw that because it's, it's sort of a, an American phenomenon to have fixed rate mortgages and here, uh, it's harder to get them fixed, uh, for longer periods of time. Mm. And the, the current rule is with interest rates at their lowest point in history, if someone offers you a fixed rate mortgage at a good rate for 10 or 20 years, take it. It's hard. It's hard to deny it. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's a great time to be taking out a mortgage, um, and lots and lots of people are. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I saw your tweet and the first thing I thought, you said, you know, what does this say about the direction of interest rates? And to me, it says that they don't know the direction of interest rates. Um, 
But yeah, it was an interesting point you raised earlier just about whether this is a bank desperate to bring mortgage paying or mortgage loan customers onto their books because that is something that Lloyds are pushing into uh, under their new CEO. And, you know, maybe it's a sort of lost leader. It's their version of a, you know, a cheap product that they sell to bring people on board so that they then go into their, you know, banking and investment services. Um, maybe that's what it is. But I think it probably is just that um, that reflects the mainstream view about interest rates over the next 10 years, which is that most sort of major financial institutions can't see them going up to the the 5 or 6% that, that some people think is where they should belong. Yeah, I think the the idea of them. So I think, and this is this is part of the, the 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 confusion sometimes I think I have with how markets move, depending on central banks and their two words that I particularly hate: dovish or hawkish stances. Um, I, I I just those 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 phrases are beyond me. Nonetheless. Um, when they turn <clears throat> hawkish and that there's this idea of, of raising rates and and ratcheting things up, um, you know, some people are calling for half a half a percent hikes from the Fed. Um, it seems like the um, Bank of England's probably going to nudge up again uh, with theirs. So going taking the incremental approach. And somebody somebody in in relation to to my tweet about Lloyd's Bank said um, something which I found interesting. And and then I think. The, the realization is is that I think money is going to stay cheap for a very, very, very long time. For me, I don't see it getting anywhere near, I don't really see it getting anywhere near 3%, let alone five or above. I think they'll, they'll, they'll try and maybe get it to somewhere between one to 2% and sit on that for the rest of the decade, maybe the next two. Um, mainly, be, and, and then, and so this idea that they're going to do that, even if they do that, if you're coming off a base of naught, that's quite a lot, so that that does have a significant impact on. on especially, the, especially when you've been at naught for so long that all financial institutions, all shadow banking institutions, everyone is geared up to the hilt based on naught percent rates. So it's not like it briefly touched naught and then it's one point five, so everyone can handle it. Everyone has predicated entire business models, billion dollar valuations are predicated on. 0.25% rates. And and so it's sort of the length of that duration that matters as well, I think. Exactly. And I think that's that more than supports why I don't see it going that much higher than, than sort of around the 1% mark, really. Um, because that would probably crash the, the, the economy. Um, and and I, they just can't stomach that. And, and the, the, some of the comments out of the Fed are interesting about there's this tightrope, and we've spoken about this at great length as to as to how much firepower they've really got because it either does crash the market or the property market or it crashes the economy. And so they 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 kind of walk this tightrope as to trying to do something but not actually being able to do anything at all. And I think maybe that's starting to be reflected a bit more now in the actual market as we see, you know, the 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 tech sector and, and growth companies with, you know, loss-making growth companies, innovative tech growth companies got, have been just caved, had their head caved in by, um, by, by the idea of the, the Fed sledgehammer taking things higher. But that's it. there seems to be a bit of a bounce out of the bottom of the market from this. And um, just as a, as a side note, you know, you know, good old mate Jim Cramer from, um, Squawk, was it Squawk Box or whatever he's on? Um, there's there's some great tweets out there about when he he said 
um, you know, buy buy the market or was it like buy Netflix, I think, and everything cratered from there. And then I think you said short uh, the ARK ETF right at the bottom and it's up 20% since he tweeted that out. The inverse Kramer play is, is the one to go. Or perhaps the, the Pelosi trade is is again the, the, the way to go with, I think it was her husband bought a whole bunch of Google call options in December. And uh, just this week, Google have announced record profits amidst all the global turmoil. So uh, the Pelosi trade again is looking like a pretty damn good one. Um, but what do you what do you think of this? Is this is this a bounce? Did, was the market oversold? Are we maybe going to come out of this not maybe to the levels that we had been, but at least out of the the doldrums of, of where we were just a few weeks ago? Yeah, well, it was it was kind of hard to keep up with uh, on holiday because you check just a couple of times a day, and there was a Monday when <laughs> whatever time it was in Europe, it's sort of. Uh, I guess, you know, 5 p.m. in the afternoon, you checked the Nasdaq and it was down 4.5% and you were like, wow, this is carnage, you know. It's for the second week in a row, Nasdaq's down. And the next morning you checked again and it ended the day positive and you just... So it was, you know, uh, a very entertaining couple of weeks. I thought the terminology you used was interesting that it was either a dead cat bounce uh, or a rebound. And dead cat bounce suggests that it had gone down a long way, but it, it, it hasn't really. And the bounce suggests that we found a bottom. And again, it was a sort of a small 10% move. And I think probably what is happening is that, you know, the <laughs> stocks are as, are as overvalued as they've ever been in history. Jeremy Grantham has identified that this is the third three standard deviation uh, episode of valuation so that they're three standard deviations away from their norm uh, in stock markets. It's the third time in 20 years, so 2000, 2008, and now. Uh, and the previous one was in 1929, and three standard deviation events are mathematically supposed to happen about once every 100 years. So we are basically sort of living and investing through one of the great 100-year bubbles, and it just so happens that it's the third of this 100 years. Uh, and so what's happening is some expression or realization of that fact. Um, you can discuss Jim Cramer and you can discuss Federal Reserve, you know, whether it's going to be 50 basis points in March or 25, whether they're going to do three rate hikes this year or four. But the bottom line is that bubbles of this magnitude have never not burst. They've never not retreated to where they belong. Uh, and you know, whether this is it or this or it'll bounce and rebound higher. I don't know. We're in a year of higher volatility now. Last year was completely extraordinary. Um, and we'll get back to, I guess, to pre-COVID levels first and then see where we end up after that. I think that's basically what I think is happening. Yeah, I think the interesting thing there, and you just mentioned at the end, is this is the idea of, of returning to pre, pre-COVID levels. And I think when you actually do sort of comb through the market, there are a number of stocks that are pretty pretty close to not just pre-COVID levels, but like March 2020 COVID levels, um, which for me makes the market a bit of a bit of a hunting ground um, in terms of if you think about what's happened in the last two years, um, that that for these companies to be now sort of trading at values around where they were before that, the then you saw you almost have to sort of brainwash yourself to forget about the last two years and consider where we are now how different is to that is that to where we were in in january 2020 and 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 does that mean 
then that we're still overvalued and that these companies are still highly you know priced in in relation to relative norms in the market or is or is there somewhere still further to go and and whether or not that's a wider market seller for if it continues to be sort of sector by sector driven because you know we do know there are some sectors that are still doing pretty okay um <laughs> the, the, the traditional um you know plotters of uh you know oil and gas and mining uh, it's continuing to just continue along while all this is taking place so it i i think it reinforces the fact that the idea of of passive investing perhaps is not as passive as it might seem for a lot of people and that can come with a great deal of risk as well um and that you kind of got to play each play each card as it's dealt to you especially when it comes to to some of the sectors that have been just absolutely decimated uh, in their stock prices over the last few months yeah i mean the within the market that has sort of in which not much has happened until this year there has obviously been an incredibly powerful rotation and as you say the sort of the innovative, the tech, the growth, the high value, the SPAC, the IPO, the crypto, all those sort of the most speculative things that did so brilliantly in 2020 are still probably on two or three year timeframes, the best performing things to have owned. And that's quite interesting. Um, and a lot of them, as you say, and the ARK Innovation uh, is the sort of the flagship for this. A lot of the stocks within that that have been so wildly ridiculed, you know, Clueless Cathy and all that, they are back to where they were just before COVID hit. And for some of them, they're growing at 20%, 40%, 60% a year. And maybe there is some hunting to be done. That certainly is one view. The alternative is that, you know, what led the market up is leading it down and that the sort of rotation out of those things and into value is the first step. And that the second step is that everything plunges together. Um, as always with investing, it's decision making under uncertainty. The kind of person you are will def will define sort of what decision you take now, whether it's seeing that risk spreading into other parts of the market or whether it's now the growth story can resume and maybe there'll be a bit of both along the way. This feels like a year which is quite indecisive so far. I mean, the Fed officials that you've described, they're quite indecisive. They still haven't done a rate hike, but somehow they're supposed to do four in the next eight months. Maybe <laughs> if they'd spread those four out over... Two years? I don't know. I think it wasn't one of the big institutional banks at some point. Didn't they didn't they come out and say that we expect seven rate hikes? Yeah, double and, and five singles. Yeah, I saw that. And yeah, so it just feels like a, a market that can't quite make its mind up at the moment. And the violence of the moves is still very interesting. So, you know, rebound, dead cat bounce, whatever you want to call it. It's like the, oh, the best four-day period markets have had in, in a, a number of months because... That's sort of what happens in these volatile periods. You get the best days and the worst days. And it's pretty hard to know what to do, to be honest. Yeah, I think that idea about uncertainty and um, inaction, uh, not really sort of making a decision, being indecisive is uh, is something to take away as well. Is Sometimes the worst thing to do is nothing at all. Um uh, although some may argue that's the best thing to do, but I saw something, and, and I, someone made an interesting comment that I saw during the week as well that um, pessimism almost uh, always traditionally tends to underperform the market, um, which is probably not a bad mantra to to take into things. Is that if you are perennially worried and scared about what the market might do, 
and and how how bad it might get you can often miss some of the great uh performance periods as well so I, it reinforces the the you know it's 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 simple it's basic but the investment principles of you know ensuring you manage your risk capital appropriately um and understanding time frame um and you, and your strategy and you know if it, it is difficult i i have have great sympathy for those that are getting to that stage of their life where they are looking to wind off you know full time work and wanting to live off retirement savings and if they got to be nest egg in investments you know how do you how do you generate income from that how do you generate growth from that you know and for the last for the last decade really you know retirees or approaching retirement uh investors have been continuously pushed to growth assets because of the you know continuing lack of of ability for for their investments to pay them uh what's needed to keep pace with things like inflation and um, and, and lowering interest rates so that you know fixed fixed term deposits and things like that they just don't exist in the market anymore because there's you just can't get any kind of value out of them so it is difficult for for, for people in that phrase and that and, and look this is why i talk a lot about the new money system and about what the cryptocurrency system can offer to people that are in that phase because there are new ways of generating income of generating returns within that system um, that help you know reduce risk. You can never eliminate risk. There, are, everything carries some sort of risk, even if it's a third party risk or something like that. So, if you're aware of those sorts of aspects of risk, but understand how they can work, that you can use this the, the new money system, and realistically, that's what we're talking about—a new money system to to help bolster things like that. So, balance in a portfolio, understanding the the available options to you. I think the more we can help people to learn and encourage that, okay, there's a banking system that is great. And there are some aspects of the financial system that are unbelievably great, like Lloyd's Bank offering a 10-year 1.66% fixed interest mortgage. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm looking at that and just going, hmm, maybe it's time to start buying some property again. Um, but you know, looking at the best aspects of that and the aspects of the new money system, I think people can can still work their way through an uncertain time um, and still come out on top. So, you know, there's a lot a lot to look forward to. But uh, we've gone on long enough this week. Uh, it's wonderful to have you back, Kit. Um, we're very happy to have you back on board and talking with us and obviously with everyone that's watching and listening today. Uh, any any closing remarks that uh, you'd like to, to say on your return? Uh, see you next week. Sounds good to me. Thanks, everyone, for watching and listening wherever or however you are. We will be back with you again next week with another episode of the Exponential Investor Podcast. Thanks again and bye for now.